Hey, hey, my friend, and welcome back to the Yours Truly podcast. This is episode 131, and I am your host. My name is Claire Tuning. I am also a non-diet registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, and human being behind all things here at Yours Truly Nutrition, and of course, the Yours Truly podcast as well. I don't know about where you are or where you're tuning in from, what part of the world, but where I am here in the Washington DC area, it is a beautiful time of year. Spring has sprung. It's actually kind of in that weird in-between part of the year where one day it's like really warm and sunny and you go outside and you get sunburned accidentally, (laughs) speaking from experience. And then the next day you wake up and it's like, back in the 40s and it's super windy again so i don't know the weather's beautiful although sometimes it can't quite decide what it wants to do i um i made a post earlier uh, by the time you listen to this episode it'll be almost two weeks ago at this point but i made an instagram post referencing those trees that bloom this time of year that smell really bad (laughs) really interesting Uh, if if you know you know they're the bradford pear trees but they're everywhere near where i live at this time of year and although they are quite beautiful and nice to look at they are very stinky so if you are having to navigate stinky trees this time of year (laughs) i hope it's going well But enough about spring, enough about the trees and the weather. Here on today's episode, I am so excited to share a conversation that I had about a month or so ago at this point with a new friend and a colleague. Her name is Amy Severson. I am so looking forward to sharing more about her and kind of give you some teasers on what we talk about in this episode here in a couple of moments. But before we get to that, we have to feature our Yours Truly Goal Slayer featured post of the week. So if you are new to the podcast, this is a segment that I do in the intro of every episode where I share some sort of of posts that has been put up in our free private Facebook community. This community is open for anyone to join who is looking to learn more about intuitive eating, uh, gather community support, and reflect on uh, anything that kind of falls under the, the intuitive eating category, as you'll hear in today's post. So this individual's post to put it into context comes also with the photo obviously you cannot see the photo if you're listening here on the podcast but it is a photo of a stack of a few pairs of pants that are all folded up and this poster writes this pile of pants represents a lot to me it represents my struggle for the past 20 years to fit into a size i don't know that my body was ever meant to fit into It represents all the hours I've spent logging calories and planning my meals in advance so I can make sure I left room for dessert or a snack or a drink. It represents all the times that I didn't stick to that meal plan, I had the snack or the dessert or the drink anyway, and then proceeded to feel guilty. It represents how hard it is to love my body because even when these pants fit, I still wasn't happy. I want to say that I am perfectly okay now knowing that these pants are too small and that I deserve to find clothes that fit me instead of making me fit the clothes. Hopefully when I buy new pants that do fit me, I will be okay. But for right now, 
I'm struggling. Even though my brain, which has read the effort diet, uh, health at every size, body respect, fearing the black body, and countless articles, listened to dozens of intuitive eating podcasts, and cleaned my social media feed of everyone who doesn't promote body positivity, knows that my weight has nothing to do with my health or my worth, and that my displeasure with how I look has nothing to do with me and instead comes from oppressive systems that flourish when women hate how they look, man, it's hard. Sometimes it's just really, really hard. So I wanted to share this post because many of the posts that I'm often inclined to share here on the podcast are celebratory. And it's not to say that this post isn't, it most definitely is in a way, but I I wanted to share a post that was very real and kind of gave a glimpse into a part of someone's process or someone's journey that maybe felt kind of hard and it didn't feel like one of those moments with sunshine and rainbows and and unicorns like I'm always referring to. So I hope maybe a line or a couple lines or maybe even the entire post resonates with you. It makes you feel a little bit less alone. And if you are looking for a community where you can read posts like this. I mean, this post, I won't get into the comments, but there are some really valuable conversation going on, some awesome support to be found in this comment section. So if you want to chime in, if you want to share your own thoughts that are maybe similar to these, maybe they're different, you know, this community is a place where you can come and have the space and gather that support from other individuals who maybe have a similar experience or are learning similar things to you. So if you'd like to come and join us, like I said before, this community is free. It is open for anyone to join. All that you have to do is fill out a brief application so that A, you can learn a little bit more about the community, our guidelines, and my team and I can learn a little bit more about you and some of the support and community that you're looking for. So if you would like to find that application, you can visit my website. It is clairetuning.com com slash community again clairetuning.com slash community and you can fill that out and my team and I will get back to you as soon as possible and of course let you into our community but now without further ado I am talking today on this episode with Amy Severson like I said earlier and a little bit about Amy, I'm going to read her bio word for word that she provided me. So Amy is a registered dietitian nutritionist whose work focuses on body positivity, fat acceptance, and intuitive eating through a social justice lens. With a mission to break the stereotype that all RDs live in small bodies and only eat certain foods, Amy cultivates rebellion and liberation on social media, showcasing the possibility for health and happiness in any body. Amy encourages the belief that food can be enjoyed without guilt or shame. She believes that recovery from disordered eating is possible for everyone and that every person deserves to feel trust in their body. Amy doesn't believe in the one-size-fits-all nutrition and health approach, so she works with clients to make health and nutrition fit into their current life, not the other way around. 
She holds a bachelor's degree in food and nutrition from Montana State University, a master's in professional practice from Iowa State University, and is a dietitian registered in the state of Washington and a certified intuitive eating counselor as well. She is working towards becoming a certified body trust provider. Amy found intuitive eating and health at every size when she was recovering from her own disordered eating. After striving for years for weight loss and pummeling herself with guilt and shame, Amy decided to support others in the quest for peace and normalcy in their bodies and with food. Amy has a passion for banishing the stigma around weight and quote wellness and uses social media and her work with clients to spread that message. You can find Amy on Instagram at Amy, and that's A-M-E-E underscore R-D, Twitter at Amy Severson, and her website at prospernutritionwellness.com. So during this episode, Amy and I talk about a lot of things. We talk about fighting fat phobia, working through a social justice lens, the importance of healthcare professionals being aware of their own privileges, and so, so much more. There's a a lot in this conversation. It was a lot to fit into one talk, but we tried our best. So without further ado, here is my chat with Amy, and as always, hope you enjoy. Amy, welcome to the Yours Truly podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Of course. And uh, we're going to waste no time and we're going to jump immediately into this or that, if that sounds good for you. Yeah. Awesome. Let's do it. Okay. Very important. First question. Do you prefer soft shell or hard shell tacos? Soft shell. Mm. Although you can combine the two. Ooh. Tell me more. (laughs) But hard shell taco refried beans, and then a soft taco on the outside. Wow. No. I like the sound of that. I like the idea of putting the hard shell in the soft shell because I feel like um, soft shells just stay together. Yeah. It contains the crumbs and the breakage. Yeah. I've always been annoyed at the hard shell ones. Like you take that first bite and everything just crumbles quite literally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Second one, are you more of an early bird or a night owl? night owl. Have you always been that way or is that like more recent? Probably always. I, if I really had to choose, it'd probably be like a mid afternoon person to be entirely honest. But <laughs> middle of the day, middle of the day. Yeah. But I'd rather stay up late than wake up early. I'm with you there on the middle of the day type of person. I like that. Maybe I'll have to add that as a third option <laughs> next time I ask that question. Um, phone call or text? Text. Easier in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah. I always get really anxious for phone calls. I'm like, why are they calling me? What's so important? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know about you. Maybe this is just because of like my business and kind of how I structure my days, but I don't mind a phone call if it is scheduled. But when someone calls me out of the blue that I'm not expecting, I'm like, what's going on? Unless it's like my mom. (laughs) That that. even freaks me out though. I'm like, why am I getting, is everything okay? (laughs) True. Very true. Yeah. Mom, you got to pencil yourself in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Please text me to plan this phone call. (laughs) Yeah. Next one. Uh, What is worse in your opinion, doing the laundry or doing the dishes? The dishes. You hesitated for zero seconds. (laughs) Yeah. I hate dishes. And my husband hates me doing the dishes, so it's fair. <laughs> wow, fairly, uh, fairly balanced there. I, I would have to say I'm the opposite. I would much rather do dishes than laundry. Something about like the folding and like the static. I'm just, 
I'm not a huge fan. <laughs> One thing I think it's good about laundry is there's like a required break in the middle of it. While you know you put things in the wash, break, dryer, break. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my downfall is during that break of like switching things over. I always forget to go back and get them out of the dryer. So I like wake up on a Monday morning. I'm like, where are my socks? And it's like, oh. <laughs> Dang it. I like, we have a touch up button on ours and mm -hmm. I use that probably way more often than I should. <laughs> I use that button a lot too. Uh, final question. I don't know if this one is, uh, is too appropriate since it's like freezing outside right now, but I'll ask it anyways. Do you prefer an ice cream cone or a snow cone? Ice cream cone. Me too. Like snow cones are good, but they're missing like the creaminess mm -hmm. and like the satisfaction factor of ice cream, I think. The first few bites I think of snow cones are really like exciting and amazing. And then you like, oh, it's just water now. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you like get to the bottom and it's like melted and like the colors are running everywhere and it's like mm -hmm. you're just drinking straight syrup. It's not as exciting anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh well those are all my this or that. Thanks for being a good sport and hanging in there with me. But um, would you mind sharing a little bit about who you are, kind of the work that you do as a dietitian, and what led you to wanting to become a dietitian in the first place? Just so anyone who isn't familiar with you can learn a little bit more about you before we dive in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, my name is Amy Severson, obviously. Um, I live in Bellingham, Washington. We're about like 30 minutes from the Canadian border. So um, I randomly will get Canadian accents on things, which is really fun. Um, I have a private practice here and I work mainly with eating disorders. Um, I consider myself a fat dietitian because I am fat and <clears throat> I'm also um, a queer dietitian and in a town that's pretty friendly for this, which is good. Mm -hmm. my throat. <clears throat> um, and I, yeah, really love doing this work. It's really awesome. Um, I also am writing a book right now with Sumner Brooks, a dietitian in Portland, and that's mm -hmm. exciting. Um, yeah, I got into this work um, kind of interestingly. I chose, like when I went to college, I chose the like nutrition path right away. Um, like I applied to the college I applied to with the intention of going into this career, um, but it wasn't with this intention in mind. Um, I was like pretty disordered in my, myself when I signed up for the classes and applied and like was really hoping, like I had this, this thing in the back of my mind of like, this is gonna be the thing that gives me the secrets for how to actually do this better and do it uh -huh. correctly. Um, Cause I've always been fat. So it was like really disordered and eating disordered, but I was still fat and so I just assumed I was doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I was just convinced that if I just got the classes, I guess I would just figure it out. Um, the reason I told people I was, go I was doing this, and this is true still, um, is my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, is type one diabetic and I had spent a lot of time going to dietitians with him and they were interesting experiences. Um, not good interesting experiences uh -huh. uh, and i just like wanted to do it differently like mm -hmm. wow there's no individual care in a lot of this and it's so by the book and it doesn't apply to him and yeah so that really got me interested in like how can i do it better like how can i treat people better than how i've seen him be treated yeah you kind of um 
saw the need for something different, a different approach. And you're like, maybe, maybe I could, could do something different there. Um, and something that you have in your, your Instagram bio, you kind of recap this as you were sharing a little bit about your story and what you do in the field, but I'm going to quote your bio. You say non-diet dietitian, treating disordered eating, fighting fat phobia and fighting for social justice in Bellingham, Washington. So I'm curious for you, how is fighting fat phobia and fighting for social justice an essential part of what you do as a registered dietitian and also an essential part of what all non-diet dietitians do, if that makes sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, <clears throat> I, I mean, I think um, fighting fat phobia and fighting for social justice are like completely intertwined, like that we can't really separate out the two. Um, I mean, I guess I, you could fight for other causes of social justice and completely forget fat phobia, and we actually see that a lot. Um, but I don't think I can fight to end, well, in whatever way we can end fat phobia without fighting for all the intersections of social justice as well. I feel like it's impossible not to include all those things together. Um, and I part of the reason I got really passionate about this is because I know that when working with clients, when working with myself even, like there's only so much internalized fat phobia that I can undo. Mm -hmm. There's only so much I can accept myself before I have to go out into the real world and like face other people's fat phobic assumptions and like face, you know, restaurants that aren't, well, used to face restaurants that don't fit, <clears throat> that don't fit um, my body or someone else's body. And knowing that, like, I can't, I don't feel like I can like, ethically sit in a room with a person and be like, no, your body is perfectly fine. And then send mm -hmm. them in the world and do nothing about it. And like, just pretend, like tell them that it's going to be fine, knowing that it might not be fine. Mm -hmm. Like they might not be actually safe in this world. And for me, that doesn't feel like an individual responsibility. Like it's not my client's responsibility to fix the world. It's ours. Those of us who have the, the energy, the space, the privilege to be able to do that are the ones who need to change the way everyone sees it because otherwise it's just going to continue to not be a safe place. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, something that's coming up for me is, is you're sharing this is going through school to become a dietitian. I always thought and was taught it's this very individual thing, right? It's this thing that we do with the client, with the person um, that we have right in front of us. But as I hear you speaking about how, yes, it it is about working with the individual, but it's also about talking about other things that go on in the world as a whole, like on this larger scale, like that's just something that, I mean, I can speak for myself. I was not taught as a dietitian going to school, right? We were taught the nutrition theory and eat this, not that, and the quote unquote weight management and all of that. And we weren't taught to really see these larger systems at play. Like, was that the case for you as well in your schooling? Yeah, absolutely. I think my school kind of touched a little bit. Like I remember talking a little bit about how BMI was bullshit and how, mm -hmm. um, 
I don't know, we shouldn't put so much stock into weight, but then like the next day or even like the next class, we would talk about, well, when someone has this BMI, we should prescribe this diet and we should do this thing. And like, I remember feeling really uncomfortable with that because I was in classes full of like really thin Mm -hmm. women mostly. And then there was me who was not thin and it was like, oh, um, hi, I fit that category that you're talking about right now. And it felt really like, well, it was awkward to be that person. And it was also like, it felt like, I don't think I could name this at the time, but a lot of cognitive dissonance because it's like, okay, but you're saying different things. You know, you're saying that we shouldn't care about this because it's flawed to the point of danger. Mm-hmm. And, but we should still consider it for these people. It's just weird. And I think the, like the individualism is so, it's like, it's so deeply rooted in our culture as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same bootstrap theory. It's the, we have individual responsibility for our station in life, for our happiness, for our health, for all this stuff. And we actually know that's not true. Like we, we know that we can't actually raise our station in life that much. We know that we don't have that much personal responsibility over our, our ability to even kind of control our health and continuing to put that like, well, you did this to yourself thing on people is so very harmful. Mm-hmm. And like, while we might be able to do some things to improve some of our conditions, we can't, we don't have that much control. And that the fact that we put that responsibility on people really in and of itself is harmful. Mm-hmm. Something that you touched on is kind of this, um, yeah, this idea that that is harmful. And I wholeheartedly agree 1000%. Something that I also find in, in working with individuals one-on-one is it leads to like so much confusion as well, right? As you were talking about like coming up in the dietetics coursework, how one day we might like catch wind of, oh, maybe BMI is flawed and weight is not everything. And then the next lecture we get was on quote weight management or, you know, how to help someone do X, Y, and Z. And I think for people just like out there living in the world, I mean, when they come to a dietitian, a lot of the questions that I get is like, I've been taught this my entire life. And now you're telling me that that's not true. Like I'm confused by that. And that doesn't make sense. And, um, it makes sense why that would be confusing if we're being taught this thing day after day. And then we have these professionals sometimes saying otherwise, like, do you feel that in your clientele or in the individuals that you work with one-on-one that it's not only actively harmed them, but it's led them to a place where it's like, I don't know who to believe or who to take seriously, et cetera. Absolutely. I think, I think a client actually said this to me, in the last couple of days that it was like something like not only was I told that my body was a fault, but that my body is my fault. Wow. And it was like, dang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause it is. And this, like a really, I think fatness is one of the really like strong examples of that. And I think like type two diabetes is another really strong example of that because that's one where all the education around it that anyone is given is, well, you ate yourself into this position mm-hmm. when like, 
those of us who work in this field, even like diabetes educators and doctors will still tell you that type two diabetes is the most genetic based diabetes you can have. Like my husband's type one diabetic. And when my daughter was born, he was really nervous about her developing type one diabetes. Mm -hmm. And his doctor was like, you don't really need, we'll keep an eye on it, but you don't need to worry about it. If you had type two diabetes, we'd be more concerned earlier Mm -hmm. because that's way more likely to happen. And he, his mind was blown and because we don't talk about that. Like we don't talk about how like type two diabetes is out of your control. If you're going to get it, you're probably going to get it. And if you're not going to get it, you're probably not going to get it. And we just instead have this narrative that you can eat yourself into it. You can Mm -hmm. sedentary lifestyle yourself into it and like hard air quotes over that. And it's so hard to un learn that and to undo that. And that is what like a lot of us who are doing this work do is like people walk in and we're like, whoa, 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 this is not your fault. Like this is not something that you have to correct because it's not your fault. You know, mm-hmm. we, we can treat it and that's fine. But we don't have to like fix all the faults you've done to get to this point. Yeah. It's a lot of the um the undoing and the unlearning first. I find mm-hmm. in some of this before the um, relearning or the, the learning of a new style or approach comes along. Um, something else that I, I wanted to ask you, and I obviously cannot speak for you, but from what I have observed, uh, have observed rather, and have experienced on social media, and I think it's really important for me to point out here that what I'm about to say and my interactions on social media are obviously influenced and informed by my own privileges of being thin, white, able-bodied, et cetera. But something that I have noticed when certain things like this are being talked about, right? Be it thin privilege or fat phobia or sizeism is people often respond in like one of two ways. And this might be a little bit of a generalization, but for conversation's sake, I'm going to categorize here. So the first way is those people who are like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense and I can see that and that is wrong and harmful on many levels. So we have those individuals who are kind of open to acknowledging or open to learning. And then we have other individuals who maybe take a very different approach in their response, right? It's like the, that's not true. That doesn't exist. Um, It's all the individual's fault as you were kind of hinting at in some of your previous answers. Um, Why do you think, and I know this is like a very big and a loaded question, but why do you think people do respond in that way where they are so resistant to even acknowledging like this is a very real thing that exists. Like what are your thoughts there? I completely agree that like the generalization is pretty on point. Like there's definitely some gray area in there and some people who are in between, but like that is what you see a lot of the time. And I have no idea. I I don't understand why people can be so resistant to it. And Mm -hmm. it's also like, I think some people are very afraid of losing the privileges that they have earned. And like, I need to use air quotes Mm -hmm. around those because like there are privileges that you can kind of 
come in and out of. Like, I'm never going to lose the fact that I'm white. Like, that's is, is a privilege I'm always going to have. Um, but I could lose the privilege of having an able body right now. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, if I was one of the few who could make weight loss a short-term thing that happened for me, then I could slip in and out of thin privilege. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens a lot. Like we, we know that, you know, some people are definitely able to lose a, some weight for a while and then gain it back. But when they achieve that privilege, that thin privilege, it's like, but I've done it. Like you can't take that away. From, I have made myself healthier. Mm-hmm. I've made myself better. You can't take that away from me. Like now I get to like talk down to the people who didn't, I know this isn't what's actually happening in their heads, but how it kind of comes across. Like I get to talk down to these people now who don't do it as well as I do, who just didn't care as much as I did, weren't as driven. And it's like almost trying to convince themselves that the pain that they put themselves through, the like punishing exercise we know that a lot of people engage in, the restriction we definitely know a lot of people engage in was worth it Mm -hmm. because now they've gained this privilege and now they need to defend it. Because if we start to, I guess, talk about how fat people deserve the same rights as thin people or diabetes just happens mm-hmm. and some people aren't going to be able to diet and exercise their way out of it, then they've lost some social currency. Mm-hmm. And whether or not they're even able to like hold that as a possibility in their brain is a whole other issue. But it feels very similar in like a completely different setting of like the people who are really anti um student loan forgiveness because they paid off their student loans because uh-huh. it's like oh I did it why why should you get this this right when I didn't have it before right so maybe almost like in a way someone feels that their efforts will be invalidated like I don't know if that's a way to phrase it like yeah yeah they're gonna feel invalidated if this other person is afforded something that they didn't feel as though they had or were given. Yeah, exactly. And that's like probably not, I know there's more to it and there's more, mm-hmm. there's other things, including just like all those deeply held beliefs and the things that were taught from like elementary school. Um, and that's, a, I think a big one is it's really hard to lose social currency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember for, for me personally, like the first time that I ever heard the word thin privilege or the phrase rather my first immediate gut reaction is being very honest was like what no like never right because it was never something that I had heard or something that I had thought about and I think it really does take like for example anyone who is maybe listening to this who this is the first time they've heard some of this or maybe they still have some of those very resistant gut reactions to just like lean into that a little bit, right? Be curious, why is that so hard to hear, right? Is it because it's false or is it maybe because we have just been raised in a culture and a society that has um, validated some body types or ways of living while really speaking down to others? So um, that's just my little little plug from personal experience. But um, <laughs> Absolutely. Next question that I have for you, I'd love to know from your perspective why you feel that it is important for 
all people in general, but especially people who like have credentials behind their name. So be it like a dietitian or a therapist or a doctor, um, why do you think it's important or do you think it's important at all that we acknowledge the privileges that we hold and mention them? Like, do you think that is important? And if so, why? I do think it's important. Um, I have some caveats of when it's, Mm -hmm. when to hold some space for that. I think it's important because credentials inherently in this world that we live in give us power. Mm -hmm. We are just automatically more respected than other people. That's its own issue, but we are. And when we can acknowledge the privileges we have, it makes it easier and just more normalized for everyone else to do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's almost like this is like an example of leading by that. Like there are some privileges that I don't think people have to name if it's a way of like, I don't necessarily think I'm not pro put your pronouns and everyone put their pronouns in their bio because it could be forcing someone to out themselves when they're not ready mm-hmm. or naming if you're queer. Cause that could be again, outing someone if they're not ready. Um, and like, I'm white and I can name my white privilege. Um, I'm able-bodied and I can name my able-bodiedness. And I should, because naming those things as real and the privileges that they have afforded me in the world make it easier for, make it more normal for someone who also holds the same privilege but not the same power Mm. to be like, oh, yeah, I guess maybe this has afforded me something like I know college, even though I was fat, college was easier for me because I was white. Um, my program was easier for me because I was a girl. <laughs> like that was, there's one non female in my, mm-hmm. in my college class. And it was just like, those are privileges that made it easier for me to live in this space. Mm-hmm. And we can kind of set an example of that and normalize it. And yeah, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Something that I, going back to, we were talking earlier a little bit about like the dietetics coursework and what it did and didn't include. I so wish, and maybe this is like a a hope for future things to include, but I so wish that there would have been like a lecture on some of this when I was going throughout school. Like I, I really do feel that less harm could be incurred by professionals, especially dietitians, just speaking from um, what you and I both are. But if we were just told some of this or um, educated on it, I guess, in a more formal setting before we were actually allowed to go out and practice and yeah, an impact on like real human beings' lives. I don't yeah, know. I, I completely agree. Like, I could have done without my accounting course and could have definitely done with a weight stigma course. <laughs> like, <laughs> True. I think, I think back, I saw um, a post from Anna Sweeney, dietitian Anna recently about um, like a, a memory of some uh, homework assignment that she had to do. And I had to do this and maybe you had to do it as well. It was like a, the calorie tracking assignment. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think we could, definitely do without that and maybe insert some of this instead. I think that could be way more helpful and a lot less harmful for not only us, but you know, all the people who we will work with in the future. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, but one, one final thing, and this is actually kind of a, a last minute add on that I wanted to throw into our conversation here. It was actually inspired by a conversation that I had with one of my clients yesterday. We were just talking a little bit about, um, experiences in doctor's offices, uh, just to kind of be, be vague in general there. And this client shared with me, you know, recently I had a, just a, a well visit with my primary care physician. And I mentioned in passing, you know, I'm working with this dietitian, aka me, um, on intuitive eating and improving my relationship with food. And the physician responded, um, harshly to put it nicely in a, in a very uninformed way in my opinion um saying something along the lines of you know intuitive eating is is great <laughs> but um but not if you're trying to to lose weight um never did this client mention to the physician that that was a goal or that was a priority. But I guess my question for you here, just what I would appreciate your input on is what might you say to those individuals who maybe feel as though um, intuitive eating is only for those in smaller bodies, in thin bodies, and not for those who are in larger bodies? Like, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, that is an unfortunately common experience. <laughs> um, I think one of the important things in there is to, I mean, so many, so many medical professionals are just continue down the same education path that has been like taught again and again, like they're taught weight stigma and then they, you know, continue in this field and then become professors and then teach weight stigma. Mm -hmm. And like, that's just, what everyone's taught. And there's like, I couldn't tell you if there's a single program that exists that actually teaches the dangers of weight stigma and the ineffectiveness of dieting. And to also be honest, there are very few programs that even teach nutrition to doctors. Mm -hmm. And so doctors will often bring in their own, their own like diet of the week and recommend that to people, which is great. Um, and I think some doctors are really not open to it. Some professionals are really not open to it, but bringing in how harmful it is, like how, how harmful it is to, to make assumptions about a person's health based on their weight, to make, to assume their intentions without asking, like what that does to a person, like how less likely at the very least they are to seek medical care. Like if, so, if someone doesn't feel safe going to the doctor because they're going to get weight talk or be like, oh, how's your diet going when you're not on a diet right. is that's going to be a thing that keeps them out of the office. And I, I always come back to that. Do you remember in like the early 2000s when we had that huge push for men to go to the doctor more often because they mm -hmm. all had like higher risk of heart attack and yep. they weren't going because they weren't going to the doctor. Like this is the same. Like there is a lot of a lot of the higher risk that comes from being in a fat body is because we don't go to the doctor mm -hmm. because there's no safe care. And like, we still have to go to the doctor, like preventative care is still preventative care. And if you don't feel safe going to the doctor or feel safe bringing up, like, I feel this thing, or 
I've felt this way lately, or I just want to talk about this issue. But if, if you're afraid it's going to come back to, well, if you just lose weight, you're never going to talk about it. Like you're never going to bring that up. And you're just not getting actual medicine. Mm-hmm. And I think for, for the people that are open to that, because that's the caveat, they need to be open to it. Um, that is really important because like they're like doctors, just like the rest of us are taught by the importance of like getting preventative care and the importance of seeking treatment when something is wrong and getting treatment when something is wrong. Um, but if you're not safe doing that, you're not going to. And that can be a part that kind of speaks like, well, if your choices are, they're either not going to get medical care or you're going to stress them the hell out every time they walk into your office, then maybe just shut up about it. Maybe nicer than that. <laughs> In a nutshell, that is the lesson. In a nutshell. <laughs> if someone only has 30 seconds to listen to this podcast, listen to that now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, um, and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher the exact wording of the principle, but one of the, the principles of health at every size, right, really talks about respectful care. Um, you might know that the print, do you know the, the principle off the top of your mind? <laughs> no, no, I feel like maybe on my desktop, I should like put 10 principles of intuitive. I, cause I reference them so often, but I can never remember the exact phrasing, but, um, yeah, talking about respectful care and like one Oh one, what that looks like, right. Creating an environment that people are going to actually come to and hopefully not avoid to get that oftentimes life-saving preventative care and medicine, not the, the lazy medicine of here's a handout on, as you were saying, like diet of the week, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like we could go on this topic for literally hours and days, but uh, I do want to be very re- respectful of, of your time, as I mentioned before we hit recording. So uh, thank you first and foremost for all that you shared and for your thoughts. And um, I know I had a lot of questions, so <laughs> thanks for answering them. But um, for anyone who is looking for more information on how to learn from you, how to potentially work with you, or just find the resources that you have available, where can we direct them to? Yeah. Um, on Instagram, my name is Amy underscore RD. It's A-M-E-E underscore RD. Um, I have not been very active since COVID started because my brain is not leaving room for much other than surviving and that's fine. Um, my website is prospernutritionwellness.com. Um, you can find how, how to contact me and what I can offer there. Um, also, if you don't even want to set up an appointment, you just want to send a question or anything, you can reach out through that website as well. Um, I'm on Twitter as Amy Severson, and I don't even know where I'm more active anymore. I've lost my ability to, to do social media. <laughs> lost my patience for it. It can, it can be a lot, right? The creative dream, the interacting with people through a screen. <laughs> Just like, I'll do it once every month or so because I'm, I'm tired yeah. <laughs> as we all are. 
sounds like best place to go for you is maybe Instagram if you're looking for the, the fun graphics or your thoughts or yeah. website for more information on your services and, yeah. and what you offer from there. But again, uh, Amy, thank you so much for being here. And that is all we have today, listeners of the Yours Truly podcast. So we will sign off. Yours truly, Claire and Amy. There you have it, my friend. That is our show. It is a wrap for episode 131 here on the Yours Truly podcast. Another big thank you and a virtual round of applause. Could you hear me? You can hear me clapping, probably, <laughs> for Amy Severson. I am so grateful that she took the time out of her day to speak with me and, of course, allow me to share this conversation with all of you. I hope you learned something and you're taking some new food for thought into the remainder of your week. But as always, if you enjoyed today's episode or anything else that we share here on the Yours Truly podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could tap those five stars and leave a review. If you are listening here on Apple Podcasts, if you are not listening on Apple Podcasts, no worries. If you still feel inclined to spread the good news and share the show, the best way you can do that is by taking a screenshot wherever you are listening to the show, putting it on social media in some way, shape, or form, either doing a post or maybe putting it on your story and giving myself at Claire Tuning and Amy as well at a Amy, A-M-E-E underscore R-D uh, on Instagram. Give us some tags so we can see that you are listening. But that is all I have for today. Thank you again so much for being here. And I will see you back here next week for another episode of the podcast. But until then, take care and we'll see you soon.